In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. John the Baptizer was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, I don't mean that he's an Old Testament prophet in the same sense of like Isaiah or Micah or any of those guys whose work and preaching is detailed in the books before Matthew's gospel, but he's an Old Testament prophet in that he is the last one to point forward to Jesus before his public ministry began. St. Luke probably gives us the lion's share of what we have when it comes to the preaching of John. But what we have from the Apostle John, a different John altogether, what we have from him is rather interesting in its own right. As John is carrying out his work of baptizing the crowds that come to him, a delegation of priests and Levites is sent from the Jews from Jerusalem to question John about his identity and about his activities. John starts by answering the questions about his identity by saying who he is not. He says, I am not the Christ. He also says that he is not Elijah or the prophet that is like Moses that we actually heard about in our reading from Deuteronomy 18 this morning. So the frustrated delegation asks, well, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Forget these other people. What do you say about yourself? And John remains like a preacher, as cryptic as ever. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. None of these answers really give us any information about John himself. And if this is all that we had about John in the Bible, we probably wouldn't know a whole lot about him. And I'm wondering if he would even feature so prominently in the season of Advent. And so, when they don't get anywhere with who he is, they press him on what he's been doing, his activities. Why are you baptizing if you aren't the Christ or Elijah? But John even dodges this question. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So if we take all of this together, John seems like he only wants to talk about one thing, or should I say, one person. And that person is Jesus. John's call from what we heard in the prophet Isaiah is to make straight the way of the Lord. John is baptizing, but there is another who is waiting in the wings, who is much greater than he, who will baptize with Holy, the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's work as a prophet is to point to Jesus and to point to Jesus only. And as the last of the Old Testament prophets, John only wants to define himself and what he does in relationship to the one to whom he points. 
So what about you? Who do you say you are? What do you say about yourselves? We can certainly talk about ourselves in any number of ways. In our political context, we could talk about ourselves as Americans. We can talk about ourselves as being Hoosiers. Sorry, Boilermakers fans, that's not a commentary on your college loyalties. We're parents and children. We're farmers and we're pharmacists. We're retired and we're tired from working all week. We're basketball and volleyball players. We're baseball and football fans. We are all of these things, but who are you in relation to the one to whom John points? The Collect gives us one way to talk about who we are in relation to Jesus. We prayed earlier, stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. And so according to the collect, according to what we've prayed, we are, in fact, in relationship to Jesus, sinners who stand in need of saving. We even admitted this at the beginning of our service today when we said we are poor, miserable sinners, and we pleaded to God for the sake of his son Jesus that he would rescue us from those sins. The other John, the, the one who authors the gospel in which our gospel reading comes from today, and also the writer of several of the epistles later in the New, New Testament writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so in relation to Jesus, we are sinners. He is the sinless one. And as we pray in the catechism, we sin daily and much. We have deserved God's temporal and eternal punishment because we have failed to love God as we should. And that failure to love God as we ought causes us to fail in our love for others. I wrote in this week's newsletter devotion for the school how much easier it is to show kindness to people that we don't know. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? We can easily make donations to food and clothing banks or drop money in the, the kettle that the Salvation Army guys are ringing for. And, you know, maybe we feel good about it. And we show that kindness and then we kind of forget about it. That's easy to do. But... How much more difficult is it for us to show kindness to those that God has placed around us? How easily do we become irked by the people God has placed around us? Our irritation with them betrays a real lack of love for our God who has commanded us to love one another even as he has loved us. And so in relation to Jesus... We are sinners who stand in need of saving. But the thing is, is that Jesus has come for that reason in particular. That Jesus has come to save sinners. 
St. Paul, or Jesus says, rather, in another place, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so St. Paul also writes, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus is the one by his grace and mercy who comes to relieve your burden of sin. And this he does by means of his death upon the cross, whereby he has taken all of your sins into himself and then distributes that forgiveness of sins to you in the font. We talked about how John was baptizing with water earlier. Well, Jesus distributes this forgiveness to you by means of your baptism. He has defined you in terms of himself by claiming you to be his own in the waters of the font. There he has placed his holy name upon you, and you now belong to him. Baptism isn't just some ceremonial washing, an occasion for cute pictures and gifts and gowns and all of that stuff. St. Paul says of your baptism, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. By your baptism into Christ, you who are in a relationship with Jesus by virtue of your sins, your relationship to Jesus has now been radically and fundamentally altered forevermore. You have been baptized into his death. Your sin was washed off of you and it was washed onto him. Your death was taken into his death and his resurrection is now the down payment, the fountain and source of your resurrection on the last day. By your baptism, you have become a child and an heir of God. St. Paul writes more about our baptism in Galatians 3. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So you have gone from being a sinner. You have gone from being a child of hell and an, to be an heir of God, of all of the things that are his. God is now your father. And Jesus, he is now your brother. The one who is enthroned above the wings of the cherubim in heaven, your brother is him. Because of what Christ has done for you in his death and resurrection, your baptism into both of those events, you are now in a new and altered relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is everything. 
It is not only who you are, but it is also what you will be in the life of the world to come. Dear saints, Advent is about waiting for the Savior. And this season, we have heard about how our Jesus is coming as the King, as the judge at the end of all things, as the one who brings us eternal joy despite the hardships that we face in this life, and the one whose sandal strap we are not worthy to untie. We have heard the ones who have pointed us to Jesus by their zeal of telling others about him, by their confession of the faith, and even by their martyrdom. And finally, as we now enter into this last stretch before Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of our Savior as the babe of Bethlehem, let us not neglect to continue to pray for his coming at the end of all things. For he comes to us as our Savior and as our brother to bring us at last to his heavenly kingdom. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel and bring us out of death into eternal life. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.